Welcome to another episode of the Launch Sequence Podcast, that little space podcast that generally just talks about Star Citizen. Today, we are touching on a subject that hasn't come up in a couple of months, but it's pretty important if you haven't heard about server meshing. Um, yeah, Star Citizen is going to probably depend on it. And I thought I'd bring in two people who have recently given their own reactions to the CitizenCon server meshing presentation. Got, got a lot of great feedback um, and I think a lot of good discussion going and a lot of people really interested in server meshing from a more technical standpoint. So I figured why not bring you guys on, put you in the room together and let you talk about things that generally fly over my head and I'll just kind of nod and ask questions and pretend like I know what's going on. And maybe we can help introduce the community at large to um, more, better, more better, greater understanding of server meshing. So Tibio and Kevin, thank you both for joining me today. How are you both doing? Doing excellent, man. How about yourself? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for asking. Kevin, what about you? Doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, both of you were kind enough to agree to come in today, and I figured we should probably start by introducing who you are and letting people know your, your own pedigree and why you want to talk about this kind of stuff. So um, why don't we talk, start with you, Tibio? What is it that you do? Why did you kind of take on this subject and start talking about server meshing. Well, thank you. Um, I, so I've worked in the networking field since 94 with Suranet back before it was the internet. Um, and I started in operations, worked in engineering architecture for all the big boys. Uh, and then I guess about 10 years ago, I moved into network automation and control, uh, which is a, a lot of words to saying, you know, do things without people involved. Um, and re, you know, that was actually about the time I got involved with star citizen, uh, for the first time. Uh, and then after this, uh, this last citizen con, uh, there was a lot of comments going on after the demo. And I just thought I could add some value and clarify some of the pieces that I knew well, uh, you know, and I want to thank Kevin because his video was the one that got me thinking about, Hey, I can actually do this. <laughs> so. That's where it all came from. Cool. Yeah, community does a, a good job of bouncing ideas off each other. So did you play Star Citizen in that you kind of said you, you found out about Star Citizen about 10 years ago, and then now with the CitizenCon, you started talking about it. But in between that time, were you really that interested in the game? Uh, I was always interested in it, but I faded in and out over, mm -hmm. the, over the years. I actually backed on Kickstarter uh, in 2012. I think it was 12 yeah, when it yeah, first came out. Um, and then I played a little bit around before when the hangers were still involved. Uh, when I guess the hanger module, whatever we used to yeah. call it back in the day. Um, and then a little bit more when the persistent universe came out, but I haven't been like a consistent player. I've right. kind of been gating myself so I don't burn out too much on it before it hits the wild, you know? Good call. It's a good idea. Yeah. Kevin, how about yourself? What what brings you to Star Citizen and what is your background regarding this kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, I uh, have, I come out of software engineering. Uh, I studied that in school. I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't gonna be happy spending 40 hours in a cube writing code and not talking to anybody. Uh, I might secretly be an extrovert. So uh, that was important to realize. And so I bounced around for a few years out of school 
you know, tried a bunch of things and wound up in actually cybersecurity. Uh, although, I weird mix of circumstances, but I, it was sort of a hybrid cybersecurity SRE role. Um, I was working in a company called Akamai uh, on the information security team there, but we got given uh, responsibility for the company's incident process, uh, incident management process, which was, you know, everything from like, you know, um, well, you know, one of the links on one of the data centers is down. We got to go call the internet service provider and get them to light it back up, or like uh, big internet scale uh, crises like Heartbleed. I was there through. Um, so uh, working on that stuff was fun. It gave me sort of like an SRE side as well as a, a cybersecurity side. Uh, I moved out to the Bay Area from Boston uh, about five years ago. I uh, did some cybersecurity stuff out here. Uh, and then uh, started my own cybersecurity consulting company uh, about three years ago, which is what I've been doing ever since. And um, I've also been playing Star Citizen. I was not an original Kickstarter backer, but I uh, got a, a game package pretty much as soon as uh, it was available. And I have been playing more. I think Star Citizen is definitely the video game that I have logged the most hours in by a large margin. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been pretty active. Um, and so, I don't know, I like, because I like systems, I don't mind the the sort of jank. I think I have, uh, in fact, find that I take more joy from it when there is a little bit of jank, and I'm, like, trying to figure out, oh, why did I fall through the, the floor again? Uh, while <laughs> yeah. I am, like, swearing and, uh, you know, trying to frantically put my helmet back on. Yeah, of um, course, yeah. You choke out and, and die for the fifth time. Yeah, I get that. That that session. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fall down yeah. an elevator shaft, you know. Again, Ingram Hex, yes. Fall down it. The ele elevator shaft chases me. I, I can't get away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. So, Kevin, you've been playing pretty regularly. Uh, Tibia, you've been interested, but haven't been jumping in too often. But you both decided to throw YouTube videos up about this. Now, I think, Kevin, you were already doing some content before that. But both of you, these videos, I think, did um, better than you were expecting. You were saying before the podcast. Why did you feel now was the time to start talking about this? Like they've done server meshing presentations before. Um, does, does something feel different specifically now? I guess besides the fact that it actually showed in the video. <laughs> I think that I'll was let it. Kevin go first since he was the first video. Okay, Fair. thanks. <laughs> I, I think that was it for me. Well, so uh, I had actually started making content on another channel for uh, work stuff, uh, criticalpoint.tv, by the way, uh, if you want to hear. I've been interviewing software engineers about that time they broke production. So it actually, uh, a lot of fun stories. Um, you want but, to uh, no, I don't have anyone from CIG yet. Um, I have been trying to get in touch with them. I'm sure they're very busy, but if somebody there has a story they would love to tell, we'd love to have them on the podcast. Um, absolutely. Um, I do have, I uh, interviewed a guy who worked at Blizzard on the launch of Diablo 2 Resurrected and wound up taking it down. I think, like, I'm proud of all the interviews that I've done, but, like, that is hands down my favorite uh, interview that I've done for the podcast, Zachary Johnson. Um, and uh, it's, yeah. Uh, that was a really fun uh, chat and gave me a little bit of context on like how game servers work behind the scenes, which was useful for the server meshing video. And so I posted something about the graph database woes that Star Citizen had been having a few months ago because uh, that was something where I had some context and I was pretty sure that 
you know, none of the YouTubers who I follow uh, had, they, they'd all done videos about it, but they'd kind of been like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, yeah, you can only know so much just from watching CIG's videos. Well, exactly, yeah. And if you haven't worked with the particular software that they're using, uh, like, you have no idea what it is. And if you don't work in software, then you have, you know, no idea what's going on. So I did a little video. I did it mostly because I was, like, it, it just, like, just to, to satisfy my own sort of, like, like, this is a thing that I know. I think people would find it interesting. I should post it. But I posted it on my personal channel, uh, which is kind of a, a catch-all. And I uh, assumed that, like, you know, like, 30 people would watch it or whatever. Uh, and, like, go to bed, wake up the next morning, and it has, like, 2,000 views or something. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that'll catch you off guard sometimes. Yeah. And, and so, then, oh, sorry, some of the comments to my video, one of the comments to my video was like, oh, I would love to uh, uh, hear from you about server meshing because the uh, CitizenCon presentation was, you know, uh, just then coming up or had just happened. Like, I actually, like, found my personal email and, like, emailed me. It was like, I'm a fan. I really enjoyed your video. Would you do a video on server meshing? That's awesome. So I guess I gotta. Yeah. Oh. Well Thank you for doing that. We wouldn't be having this podcast if you didn't. Yeah. So really, it was it was popular demand. Yes. Yes. Hundred okay. percent. Tibio, how about yourself? I mean, I know you said you were you were inspired, but was there anything else that factored into it? Uh, yeah, I actually watched the Citizen Con. Not, I think I actually watched one of your review recordings of the server meshing because mm. you know I couldn't watch this stuff live. I was working, um, but. Uh, I would then I saw Kevin's and I was reading through some of the responses to it uh, and various other server meshing and it it seemed like there was a gap that and it kind of graded on me because it was kind of a fundamental understanding gap and honestly it was a little bit out of frustration that I made that first video it was more a release to say at least put it out there that you know like some of what you guys are saying is is obviously true but there's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of irrelevant or just flat doesn't factor in here uh and that one really took off it was unbelievable what happened the next day i i had no idea um and since then it's just been a roller coaster <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure i got i got sent your video a couple times within about a week um and Kevin, I had seen yours too as well. I didn't get to watch through the whole thing, but I had seen it posted. And yeah, I think I think you make a good point there. Um, one of the best things that we could probably do here today is to try to clearly communicate the problems facing CIG and the possible path they have to server meshing for a layman. Because it's, it's really... I still don't think they've really put out a good roadmap for people to expect, probably for good reasons. <laughs> as, as folks who work in the industry, I'm guessing you know that that's not a good idea publicly. Um, but maybe we can try and guess at something today. So why don't you start us off just kind of naming one of the biggest things that you see that, that you feel like gets misconstrued when we're talking about server meshing. We'll go from there. You want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was specifically one? talking about the, oh, okay. the things you were noticing. Yeah. Okay. Um, probably the biggest one is just the sheer level of complexity. It seems like there's this desire to simplify it down uh, in order to kind of imply that why is it taking so long? 
And there's kind of this balance I'm trying to struggle with, with keeping where, yes, I think it's taken a really long time to get there, but it's not like they could have turned this around in a year, right? I mean, this is some deep stuff they're doing here. So maybe not 12 years, but once they hit the ground running, it's not going to be like six months later, right? You're talking years of development to get something this complex solid enough to roll out even in an alpha state. Um, so to me, that was what I was, I was trying to convey that we don't have to be pleased necessarily about the 12 years of history, Oh yeah, but we still have to be realistic about the level of complexity that they're fighting with to make this thing happen. Right. Yeah. And from my opinion, or one of the things I noticed was I kept hearing like, Throughout the last, since CitizenCon, they've been these little dribs and drabs of leaks or information about how well it's going, um, how well the testing's going on these things when they do it. And every time I hear that, I get more nervous. I don't know about you, Kevin, but whenever I go through a testing cycle that goes really well, I get really scared. Uh, <laughs> it expectations. means I've missed something, oh, right? Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I've, I've tried coding. Um, there's a reason I'm not doing it anymore. I remember though, in my, in my intro to computer science class, just going through the process of bug fixing, probably one of the most simple blocks of code you could come up with and, and realizing when things go right, it, it I get, I get worried. <laughs> it was just like, it was very natural too. I was like, okay, I've gotten so many errors. This doesn't make sense that it's working. But do you think that while these are leaks, do you think that communication about the status of server meshing is better or worse to share? And this is for either of you, because... I, I just talked, so I'll let Kevin get that, and I'll jump in at the end. Yeah. I feel like... I don't know. I always want more information than less information. And I, I really admired CIG for how much they've been willing to build in public, even though it has gotten them, you know, um, uh, at times, a lot of flack. But... I mean, like coming from the cybersecurity side, you know, I'm always pushing for more disclosure of like what happened in a cybersecurity incident. Uh, and so here, I really, you know, value their willingness to, you know, uh, tell us as much as they can, um, you know, largely because I find it really personally interesting. I'm fascinated by how these systems work and uh, all the work that goes into them and like, uh, I just, you know, in the same way that I enjoy watching like factory tours behind the scenes of how, you know, uh, computer monitors get made, I enjoy watching uh, stuff like this uh, about like how video games get made. Yeah. There's a lot of human effort that goes into this. It's honestly, it's people don't realize that that's part, a big part of the reason Star Citizen has success is because it's a bunch of people who really like watching the process as well as playing the game, too. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. And talking about the process endlessly. Yeah. Endlessly. Absolutely. And I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Ken. Well, and my attitude about the game itself has always been that, like, I'm not here for whatever the game is, you know, in the platonic future vision. I'm here for what the game is today. And it, it happens that I enjoy it, you know, being, you know, kind of in the state that it is. And I enjoy getting to participate in the process of, like, uh, making it the thing that we all want it to be. And so that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's something I really value about Star Citizen that no other, you know, video game, you know, frankly, few other things in life have given me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, the the I even when I wasn't playing, I was still keeping up to up with what was going on in the uh, you know in the news. Uh, not that there was much until pretty recently, but I was doing my best. Um, and to your initial question, I would say I'm kind of torn because I don't think the the way it works and. Kevin, jump in here if if I'm getting this wrong, but the way an, an engineering group work tech tends to work is to pose an idea, start working on it, figure out where it won't work, retool that section, and then it's just a constant cycle of iteration. And people who aren't in that world often see that as failure when that's actually the process working because it's how you refine and get a better outcome. And again, I want to be careful not to say that 12 years is, you know, fine, it's, you know, it's perfect. But at the same time, it, it makes it a problem if you release news and then in three years you come back and say, well, it's now we're doing it this way, right? So yep. they're in that kind of information bind yeah. uh, that, you know, I work for a vendor right now and I deal with that every day, right? Okay, what do I tell the customers? What don't I tell the customers? How much of my capital, how much of my trust that I have from the customer can I burn if this ends up being wrong? And then do I stop becoming a valuable source of information for them? It, right, it, and that's the bind. It really seems to come to, from perspective too. You can have bad news that if you don't have the context looks extremely bad compared to if with the context makes makes sense and i think with software development that's probably more true than a lot of other things that people are more familiar with you know if you are building a car and you're like oh we we can't the car doesn't work because we can't get the exhaust fumes out enough people understand that you can just make the exhaust bigger to get more fumes out but when it comes to a game and you're like oh well we we built this system but it seems to make everybody's legs disappear. People are going to be like, oh my God, the game, what do we do? Or so it makes I think, everyone do a T-pose on a chair. <laughs> yeah, our favorites. So I think there's some, some perspective there too. But you're also, I want to get back to the specifics of server meshing again soon. But now you've brought up this new topic of the time it's taken. And I would be interested in, you guys have both had I, what sounds like at, at least a decade of, um, of, uh, um, experience in the industry with large companies that are probably releasing large products and maybe even small companies that are just in their like beginning years. From your perspective with CIG's history and how this has all gone, does 12 years feel like it's too much for this kind of thing? Uh, well, it's challenging because it all depends on their goal for the release, right? Were they, did they spend seven years shooting for absolute perfection, which is unattainable, and then suddenly have to realize that, uh, you know, we got to get this at least workable and then iterate on it from there? Uh, or did they have a 12 year plan 12 years ago and they just didn't tell us? You know, so not knowing which of the, and I, I have a guess yeah. right, as, as to which it was. Um, Go creep. <laughs> but there is a learning curve for a company like CIG that doesn't have a historical presence, right? They don't have a methodology to know when they're going down blind alleys or when they're chasing too hard for perfection. So I do think they suffered from a lot of that. And I 
I don't want to say that 12 years is too long, uh, but it has that feel about it that it, it could have been shorter. I guess that's I'm struggling because I don't want to cast aspersions on other engineers who I when I have no idea what's going on. Right. Yeah. You, you know how it feels time, to be in the other 12 seat. years is a long time. Yeah. I think there are definitely clear signs that they expected things to happen sooner. And um, we're, I think a lot of what we see of Star Citizen now really started in like 2018, right? With 3.0. Like that was the point where they got the, the four updates a, a quarter going or four updates a year going. That was the point where we started to see free fly events. We got Invictus week. They started doing global events and missions and like it felt like they actually had something together so a lot of times i i do consider i don't i'm not I'm never going to say that like the development time started later but i i i do think about those first three years as being kind of uh they were figuring some stuff out first three years gosh that was six years it, it yeah it was six years and it does it did i agree with you it felt very much like they've they re they found a focus they refocused and narrowed their view in on achieving th achieving things and yeah. I, I i agree and then a few years later too about 2020 it felt like that happened again and now again kind of feeling like that so i'm not saying there's a cycle but <laughs> kevin i see I you nodding is that, is that what you notice The launch of the first, um, uh, was it, uh, Xeno Threat, the first global event. Yeah, I'm having some internet connection issues. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry about that. No problem. Uh, the, yeah, I do think, I don't know, one of the things that I know about projects like this is that they have a tendency to, like, come together. There's often a lot of sort of, like, foundation that has to be laid, and then once the foundation is in place, the superstructure can go up very rapidly. Um, um, sorry, we lost you for a bit right there. Nope. There, are you back? Should be back. There we go. Okay. I got you. You're good. Cool. Good. Um, the other thing that gives me some, uh, sympathy for them is that, as a friend of mine puts it, they have, uh, only chosen to solve five of the hardest problems in computer science at once. Uh, uh, what are those? Um, That's a they, great quote. <laughs> it's a, it's, I mean, uh, I think she's being a little bit uh, facetious, but uh, the latency uh, and correctness constraints is, or latency and reliability constraints is just like, you know, no one else has built this, and there's a reason that no one else has built this. Um, and It'll be very interesting to see if they can pull it off. I think we might live in the first moment where it is possible um, in terms of, you know, the, the, so, so I, uh, which pioneered the same. Hold on. Sorry. Can you say that again? I missed You cut off a bit there. Uh, you said somebody pioneered something. Okay. I think you're back. You're good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, see if I can stay back. Um, how much of that did you catch? I, you got to start over from whoever pioneered something. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Um, yeah. So one of the touchstones for why you know for how hard a problem this is for me is Eve Online, uh, which pioneered this. Uh, oh no. We can't um, figure yeah. out who pioneered it. Wait, I don't know. Eve Online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Eve Online yeah. pioneered some. Go ahead. Eve Online pioneered this idea of a single, you know, shared universe with, you know, tens of thousands of people in it. Um, but they do their server meshing at the system level. And, you know, they were doing this 20, 25 years ago, uh, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, you know, they had to make a lot of. Uh, so yeah, Eve kind of pioneered this idea of having, you know, a single game world, which is implemented by multiple, you know, in their case, actually physical servers. You know, when they started, uh, my understanding is they were, you know, racking and stacking servers in a data center in, uh, you know, New York, uh, maybe data centers in Europe. Um, uh, and they made that work. They made a lot of like, you know, smart design decisions to enable them to do that. And even so, uh, like, there's this great series of books called Empires of Eve, which tells sort of the history of the, you know, the player corporations of Man. Eve Online. That's crazy. It, oh, it's great. It's like the, what was it, Julius Caesar is like, you know, history of the uh, Gallic Wars or something, but about a video game. Highly <laughs> recommend it. Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, fascinating stories. Uh, but like, they really pioneered this idea of a single universe, uh, but they do server meshing sort of at the system boundary and you jump from system to system uh, and you get handed off from server to server. Uh, and I, a friend of mine interned there like 10 years ago or more now. Um, and so I visited him in Reykjavik and spent, uh, my parents were like, did you go see some glaciers? Did you go see some geysers? I'm like, no, I spent the weekend drinking my way around Reykjavik with him and his coworkers. <laughs> So I can tell you all the best bars in Reykjavik, but nice. uh, um, so I got some color from him and from them. Um, but like nobody has attempted anything uh, with this kind of you know first person. Uh, nobody has attempted anything with this kind of like latency, um, you know, responsiveness needed. Oh, and the re the thing about uh, reason I was calling out Empires of Eve was because. You read the history of Eve Online, and the player corps, you know, are playing the servers as much as they are playing the game. Um, they're they're using the behavior of the servers to their advantage. You know, they they'll even call up Eve or the CCP games and go like, "Hey, we're going to have a battle in this system. Can you add extra capacity there?" <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, and that's kind of what people are saying should happen with Star Citizen. I don't, I don't, I don't know one way or another, but like this last week and we had the Daymar rally and it's a big event. A lot of people are watching. It's a very, I think good opportunity for CIG. And so people naturally would be like, Hey, can you guys, you know, try to make sure these servers are more stable. And unfortunately we 30 K in the middle of one of the races, <laughs> which was, I've never seen that happen during the yeah. Daymar rally, which was always a blessing. But this year, um, this year they got us getting the full star citizen experience. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Really though. I mean, that I think they're at a point right now, man, where they they're locked into this architecture until they flick the switch. Right. I, I'm not entirely sure they have a lot of capability with the servers as they stand today to do anything except right. kind of 
keep them online if they're lucky right yeah well that's a lot of the game too right i mean obviously if we had our way the star map would have been changed a long time ago but they didn't have the bandwidth to do it one way or the other and and the you know the with the star map especially and all the flash stuff right it's so ingrained all the way down that you you know they didn't have that capability to act in a kind of specific way right they had to either do all or nothing mm-hmm. and my feeling right now is that they're getting to the point where in the next year to year and a half they're going to start doing those rip that out put the new stuff in and you know if they do this right then that means everything will be more modular moving forward so they can do those more iterative changes instead of these holistic swap outs right right Let's get back to, Kevin, what you were kind of talking about and getting at. And that is um, a lot of people's feelings about server meshing is mixed by how people describe it. Some people describe it as the greatest thing in, in gaming. It's going to change the entire industry. Some people describe it as, meh, it's cool, but other games have done it. And, and even you were just saying that, like, EVE has their own version, but it's on a different kind of application. In previous episodes, I've had some people come in and talk about server meshing and how it is different in each case. But I think a lot of people are wondering just how actually special this, what they're doing with server meshing is. Um, so Kevin, since you actually started that kind of conversation, is there anything you want to add to that to really explain your feelings about it? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'll say that I don't know anybody else who's doing uh anything nearly the scale like i say eve are the only ones who come close um there was a company who started actually around the same time as star citizen called improbable.io uh, who had some really interesting tech and were trying to sell it to uh, mmo developers and i think maybe a kickstarter mmo picked it up um i forget the name now but that the kickstarter mmo died i checked in on improbable site uh a couple months ago in actually in preparation for my server meshing video and uh they were doing some kind of nft nonsense was uh, that the the spatial os developers that sounds right yeah yeah, yeah. okay so you know them yeah um they have as far as i can tell gone nowhere so <laughs> um yeah i remember that project it, it it was they were running a game called scavengers i think which was like kind of in testing but never really really got anywhere so really un- unparalleled in the industry from what you've seen yeah how about the best uh, of my knowledge how about dual universe is that something that you guys have looked into no mm-hmm. no that's i that's the only other game i know that a- attempts something like this i would check it out it's not nearly as big but their their big sell was the idea that they were running on server meshing everybody was in the same place and it looked kind of like a more fancy space engineers where everybody was building stuff trading stuff and and all that kind of thing i don't know how well it's been going but i do know it's something that is sometimes compared yeah i'll definitely look it up i think one of the keys here is you know with the server meshing cig is doing i feel like it's not a revolution it's an evolution right it's taking the pieces that have been started through the last 30 years and just you know implementing them fully and completely with the new technology um and they're trying to do it in a way that it'll support really any gameplay which is also something i've never seen before i've never seen like a space game that wants to do fps that wants to do crafting that wants to do exploration right it's this it's this grand vision 
um, that's going on. And honestly, solving that sort of portability, you know, as Kevin was saying with Eve, when you narrow the scope down, it's not as difficult. When you broaden the scope out, you just kind of exponentially increase the level of complexity you have to solve for. Well, and you say it's an evolution and not a revolution, but, uh, and I think that that may be the way that we experience it. It's just, you know, oh, the universe gets bigger uh, and the tick rate stays the same, you know. Uh, but I think on the back end, the kind of engineering, the kind of re-architecture of the underlying uh, server, like the technical term would be state machine, um, that has been required to go from what is a single-threaded or like lightly multi-threaded process to a fully distributed uh, process is night and day. Um, Absolutely, I, I do agree. Their use of like microservices and the and the spreading across like the Amazon infrastructure, I would agree with that. That is, they've they they can build on that because AWS exists today. When all the other right. MMOs were around, it didn't. Right, right? exactly, yeah. Um, but there are techniques and technologies that have been learned from the other services that are already running there. That, that Basically, all I'm trying to say is they're not like inventing it from the ground up. They're taking a lot of pieces, pulling them together, and then the invention they have is tying those together and adding on the code that makes it work for what they need. Right, it, they're not trying to recreate, reinvent the wheel. Right, they're well, making they're not a car. Trying, well, they're not trying to re. Yeah, I mean that's part of it. They are using existing tech. Um, one of the things that uh, came out in my interview with Zach Johnson, who'd been at Blizzard, uh, and which uh, I thought was interesting, was that games uh, and games companies have actually lagged significantly. Uh, in their adoption of stuff like AWS, uh, you know, any of the like microservice stuff, um, mm. there are still, a, uh, you know, certainly games out there where, you know, the servers are still running on a Windows, you know, box, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's one server, one Windows box, uh, you know, these days it's probably a VM, but, you know, uh, a single Windows, Windows it, well, it's it's Windows and it's like, you know, a single box, which is, you know, managed by an ops team, some, or, you know, a collection of single boxes, you know, which mm -hmm. are managed by an ops team somewhere. Um, games have been relatively slow to move to this distributed model because of, I think, the, sh the shape of the problem that they're solving. And so while CIGR, yeah, composing, you know, maybe it's Kubernetes or AWS or, um, you know, uh, you know, building a, a microservice, you know, backend, uh, like I say, I if they are not the first to do it, uh, and if they are not the first to do it at this scale, there are not very many other people uh, doing it. I I would actually agree with that, and I think a big piece of that is the the time to develop, right? Like WoW isn't going to suddenly throw everything aside and go to a microservices model, right? Um, and Everyone yeah. in these tends to wait for someone to solve the problem and then dogpile on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe evolution versus revolution was the wrong wrong term. They're definitely breaking into a new era of MMO games. Um, 
And but they're doing that by taking the last 20 years since, you know, the kind of the wow was the last really, I would call it like revolutionary game just because of how big it got. Yeah. Um, but we've been stagnant, you know, for 20 years since then. So it's not, you know, and that's something that a big company like an Activision or a Microsoft, they're not going to invest 10 years in an MMO to recreate this whole technology. The only way this was going to happen was from an independent studio. That was going to be my next question was um, if you guys thought any of the other big publishers could or would put the time in, or if they did, maybe it would have taken a lot shorter, do you think? Again, because of the fundamental complexity of these problems, like, you know, there's, there is some basic research that had to be done here. And I'm actually super curious to have you send me the name of this guy's uh, so I can dig up his patents uh, and uh, figure out what the fundamental underlying technology is. But like, uh, like I say, you know, there there were some unsolved computer science problems that needed to be solved in order to make this work. And uh, so doing it in ten, twelve years is actually like, yeah, yeah, that checks out. Um, and it will be interesting to me to see if you know, like, an Activision or a Ubisoft like fast follow on this. Um, you know, the whole, oh, yeah, they is, told me I was being told that Bethesda was doing that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I can't okay. help yeah, it. I'm sure. so sorry. Oh, oh, I, had to, yeah. I had to deal with that for a long time. All right. <laughs> Just throwing oh, no. out the shade. Yes. 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 That, <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I mean, like our citizen would make a great games as a service. Like there's absolutely no way you could ever expect to buy it in a box from the store because the whole point is that it is this shared thing. And so you need to, you know, contribute to its maintenance on an ongoing basis. So, uh, it, it certainly seems like given the kind of way they want their business models to work these days, that, uh, it would be appealing to them. This, the problem of the underlying technology being, uh, really, challenging to develop i think also like i suspect the underlying technology uh is not going to generalize terribly well from star citizen i could be wrong but my guess is that uh we are not gonna see uh an explosion of people picking this up you know from cig uh oh, oh, of course also it's under patent uh which cig has uh control of but my suspicion is also not that cig is particularly likely to be able to like take this and you know build their own sort of like unreal engine kind of platform for other people to build mmos on top of with this like my suspicion is that this is fairly tightly integrated uh with you know uh star engine and with their client code and that with you know aws this is not going to uh be the kind of thing that they can just package and sell. I, I, to some, I, I agree with you on a package and sell. I do think that if they can solve server meshing from a technical standpoint, how do you make this work in a microservice environment? Uh, if they kind of hold the intellectual property there, I think they will have assets that like could add to, like Unreal could license and plug it into their True. engine. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I do agree with you. Like, we're probably not going to see like Eve buy the Star Engine, right? But I think what they're doing is is new enough and impressive enough that they'll have pieces of it that they can license out. 
So that's actually that's a good point. That's possible. That you guys have been talking about microservices and the you mentioned that this is a system or, or a game that relies on microservices, whereas other games couldn't. I've seen a lot of different names. One of which I, I'm really curious about is gRPC and the uh, the stuff that's based around that programming language or whatever it is. Um, but maybe we could get a little more into the idea of what are these microservices and why does that make it unique the way that it runs this game? And also, it looks like you both want to talk about gRPC. So that, <laughs> that too, um, whoever wants to start out. Go, go ahead, Kevin. This is, I'll, I'll, I'll feed off what you say, man. This is your special. Sure um, so back in the day when I started writing software, uh, especially software on the web, uh, you know, so web service stuff, uh, the way that we wrote it was uh, the architecture was we would have a sort of front end, uh, which was responsible for like talking with clients. And uh, then we would have a big application uh, and then we would have a database. Uh, and the application's job was to talk to the database uh, and the web server. Uh, the web server's job was to talk to the client and the application. And uh, this worked great until you hit like about a thousand employees at a company. Uh, and then the pressure of all of the, you know, so about 30% of those are engineers. So the pressure of like 300 engineers all trying to coordinate on a single code base got too much. And also we realized that like computers had gotten fast enough, networks had gotten fast enough that uh, we no longer needed to keep everything on a single server. Uh, in fact, we were increasingly like running the same big, uh, ball of mud application across many servers in order to sort of support the load with like a single database or a couple databases behind it, you know, a single web front end or a few web front ends in front of it. And uh, so it made more and more sense to like pull out pieces of it and give them to a team and let the team run them, you know, define some interfaces using the same kinds of uh, patterns that we use uh, between uh, uh, you know, between like client code and server code, for example, uh, and then uh, let the team own like, you know, an authentication service or a, uh, you know, uh, a service whose job is to go talk with a credit card company and, you know, uh, authorize a charge, for example, okay. you know. Yeah. And, uh, but games, again, have like lagged behind this games still overwhelmingly run with this kind of like big ball of mud architecture, uh, which is a pejorative term. And I don't actually mean it that way. It makes sense in a lot of cases, but like, yeah. uh, 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 it is the technical term. Uh, monolithic architecture is actually the technical term. Um, yeah. and so we found some, we, we found substantial benefit in like pulling out different pieces and letting them talk to each other. Um, that now the, I always say that the uh, degenerate case of a microservice architecture is where there is more than one service for every engineer at the company. Um, and no one I've ever worked for has ever been uh, nearly close to that. But you do wind up sometimes in some of these large uh, uh, tech companies with like 50, 100, you know, 150 mm -hmm. microservices. and. Yeah, if you've ever like loaded a web page and like half of the web page doesn't load, uh, you know, the, like the, your browser says the web page is fully loaded, but yeah. there's a bunch of things spinning on. Like each of those things that is spinning is talking to potentially a different microservice on the back end, uh, 
and you can wind up with hilarious or terrible results. And so I tend to believe that there is a like right amount of microservices and we have gone too far in the direction of too many, uh, as we do many places as we do. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, the, the classic example here is, uh, you know, credit card processing as Kevin brought up, right? If you, uh, like Ticketmaster, for example, right. They, in, I don't know when, but at some point they were a monolithic infrastructure and then a Taylor Swift concert went on sale and it blew up. So what microservices allowed them to do was in, you know, they had maybe four credit card processing microservices up at a time as the volume increased, they would be able to fire up copies or new processing and split the load across more services to handle these spikes and then conversely shrink that back down afterwards so they're not spending a ton of money for this monolithic infrastructure that that is sized to handle the worst case scenario right right in um, point of fact i suspect that they uh only have one uh credit card processing microservice uh uh, when I worked at Stripe, I got a little bit of insight into the uh, uh, structure of that, and it's actually very slow. Uh, you get relatively few requests, but That's true. Uh, your but your point stands. Like there are a lot of other places where microservices allow us to, you know, uh, and also the knobs and levers that AWS gives us allow us to like auto scale. So if we get a big capacity spike, especially on the application side, we can go yeah, like double or you know, quadruple the number of servers that are dedicated to a particular task for like a couple hours and then shut them down and only pay for the hours that we're using rather than, uh, you know, back in the old day, like if you wanted to double the number of servers, you had to, you know, go through procurement, uh, get the hardware shipped to you, uh, get somebody to stick it in the rack. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the things that I've had the most trouble conveying to people. Uh, and you touched on it, Kevin, in your comment. Uh, so I'd like, I just want to, bring this home to everyone is um, scaling horizontally has a point where you spend more time coordinating than you gain in efficiency from doing so. So there will be a point in server meshing where it is no longer beneficial to split the load. And I think that's important for people to comprehend. It's not an, it's not a perpet, how should I put this? It's not a perpetually servers, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Well, and okay. this is particular to the problem that server meshing is solving. Sorry, I um, uh, because it is not always the case, depending on what problem you're solving, that Correct. you need that that each of these need to coordinate. Uh, it's the fact that uh, you need to do the handoff of uh, one to, uh, you know, the handoff of like a player from one. Uh, server to another or the handoff of an object from one server to another. And you have that boundary zone where they both need to know yeah. about an out where two servers yes. need to know about an object. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Which makes this a real hard problem. Um, so absolutely. When it comes to this, this method of running microservices and you applied, you gave an example, um, for instance, with Ticketmaster, could you guys maybe talk a little bit about any of the microservices you do know that are kind of helping to power server meshing or how this could benefit Star Citizen above other games that don't, that run in the, the mud monolithic format that you talked about? I'll be uh, honest that I'm actually not sure. I haven't, from what I've seen of the architecture that CIG has published, you know, the talks they've given, 
I'm not sure I would call uh, server meshing a move to a microservice architecture. Um, it's certainly a move to a distributed architecture, uh, and there are, you know, they, they've they've actually been moved to a, a sort of devolution of some of the uh, concerns. So, for example, they you know stood up an off service at some point um, to handle that piece of the work. But uh, I think that I would describing it as a distributed architecture is a little bit more. Um, yeah, um, maybe this is maybe this is technical nitpicking. I'm not sure, but I, I think uh, it's I think it's a distinction. Maybe only you and I would care about. Um, but the the you know for for the for those listening, the difference between a distributed and a microservice is simply size, right? If you're building, if you're doing a distributed system, eh, okay, fine. Um, but a, a microservice is really designed to be something that's fast up and down and to solve a specific problem. Right, a distributed architecture is designed to split the load of solving more complex problems. I guess that might be the easiest way. Kevin, does that kind of? Yeah, and I think for me, a microservice uh, in a microservice architecture, it's about the number of concerns uh, uh, that are being addressed. Uh, you'll have, you know, of those, you know, fifty microservices inside Lyft, for example, like each was solving a different problem. Uh, and you could scale them up, but there were, you know, a bunch of services solving different problems. Whereas in server meshing, uh, they're all all of these servers are working together to solve the same problem. Is okay. I think the yeah they key are. for me. But, yeah, you're right. But it, it seemed right. you guys were alluding to the idea that Star Citizen is adapting this microservice structure as opposed to other games. I would describe them as adapting modern uh, software operations uh, okay. technologies and techniques. Yeah, yeah, at least they're not lagging behind anymore. I mean, well, no, well, like no, they're yeah. they're forged. They're they're actually they're kind of skipping over a, a, a huge number of steps here, right? And I think that's important to recognize. Um, you know, we there's been a lot of conversation lately about the different protocols and you know how this is all going to work. And honestly. Um, we're all kind of inferring because it's never been, I've never seen anything like this before, right? So are they using like gRPC? Are they using unicast? Are they using message bus like a Kafka bus? We don't really know at the end of the day how they're transmitting the information. And that's kind of the key piece of information I'm missing on the network side to be able to say what this whole thing's gonna look like at the end of the day, right? So. That said, um, I really do think that that um, the the challenge they're going to have is the synchronization between them all. Right. Yeah. So where does where does gRPC fit into all this? So there was a uh, there was a change log. Uh, I forget the official name for it now. Uh, there, like one of the updates recently within the last couple of months mentioned that they were transitioning one of the backend services, you know, one of what might more uh, reasonably be called the microservices to gRPC, which is, uh, it's just a way for computers to talk to each other. It's just a standard for computers to talk to each other as well as, or for like software programs, software processes to talk to each other, uh, as well as a bunch of technical tooling around it. Um, it stands literally for Google Remote Procedure Call. Um, RPC is just, uh, it's a legacy acronym, um, legacy technical it's a, term. 
Yeah, it's a service that's been around forever, um, but Google kind of modernized it and made it useful again in, in the current era. I, I thought that Google built it from scratch. I could be wrong they on that. They built their version of it, but RPC has been around oh, for a yes. long time. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm not Going saying they, they like wrapped the old RPC. They definitely rebuilt it from the ground up, but it, it kind of yeah. fills that same role that the old RPC did. Yeah, I remember right. they they mentioned it back in, I, I pulled it up here, their letter from the chairman back in 2022 in May, they mentioned that they were switching over to gRPC um, as they finished building out the services for PES. And that was like the one kind of part of that letter that I was like, okay, this seems like a big change, but I don't really know what that means at all. It was an odd level of detail in the middle of a more generic. I That confused the heck out of me about why they threw that one specific kind of very technical detail in there. To be honest with you, I couldn't figure out why it was there. Huh. It was an interesting tidbit. Um, it was. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the cool thing about gRPC is both that it makes it really easy to define message formats, basically. Uh, and you get a lot of tooling around uh, allowing, you know, making your programs like send a message from, a, you know, Java program and receive it in a Python program or C++ or uh, Swift or, you know, whatever you, uh, you happen to be writing in. Uh, but it's mostly just about that message uh, format. And it also, it's a highly optimized format. Um, yes. They have uh, really done the work to make it as uh, space efficient as possible and as low latency as yeah as low latency as possible um and yeah because so... I mean, there, there's a processing engine when it receives the call whatever the other side is it has to parse that and they put a right. lot of time into optimizing that yeah I'm glad, I'm the dirty glad that... go ahead uh go ahead Kidding. oh no no you're fine please what were you saying Okay. The dirty secret of uh, software is that an enormous amount of time, you know, often the majority of the time that a program spends running is spent, like, taking data from uh, the network and uh, turning it into structures in memory or taking structures in memory and turning uh, it into uh, stuff that we can send out on the network. We call this serialization and deserialization. Uh, or oh the, boy, I, I've learned yes. that. I've learned that studying stars that it's in serialized oh, nice. variables. Okay, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It, One of many not, kinds it, of serialization star citizen does. Is that yeah, not the same? It, it's it, there's also in networking we have a huge amount of serialization that happens. So once the data gets serialized at the application layer and sent down into the network stack. It also gets serialized, you know, potentially at the protocol level and then definitely at the interface level. So, you know, we're, we're this data is well serialized by I the like time serial. it hits yeah. a wire. So that's yeah. cool. Yes. It is, it is exactly the same kind of serialization. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, the, and so the more you can optimize the process of serializing and deserializing data, uh, the faster everything goes. And Google with gRPC have like hyper-optimized uh, their serialization and deserialization routines. Oh, and so, yeah. And uh, if you input data that's easy to serialize at the front end, right. then you get just, you compound the gains, right? Right, yeah. Let's yeah, you can do a lot of smart des design work there. Well, let's, let's talk about, I mean, we've talked a lot of details of this, but how about the, the actual possibilities and viability of this from what you guys have seen? Um, 
after that closed demo and you know watching both of your videos kevin i know that you had some some things to say about the shape of that demo space and shooting bullets and how that might be affected by these servers and uh tibio in some of your videos you've talked a little bit about those transitions between servers and even today you guys mentioned those scaling this up past that one room example to even past our systemic uh, server meshing to like a carrier ship having its own server and a city having a server and a space station yada yada all these things how realistic do you see that at this point i know you're missing a lot of context but from your perspective um i'll be quick on this as the network guy uh i my main concern with this goes back to that over you know there's there's a point where creating three servers in the space that that demo showed is, I mean, I'm sure they would say the same thing, right? It was just for a demo, but you're never going to see, I don't believe it get down to that level of resolution, having three servers that's small, right? Right. Um, so, you know, the, what, what I would do in my networking brain, um, because I think of like, all of this stuff, especially graphs in a very different way than maybe Kevin does because networking is entirely graph theory, but it's not, it's applied a little differently. We're more worried about the edges, right? And, and how those function in networking. Um, but it would be the part that I find the most worrisome is how do they define what is a valid segment for splitting? Like, is it at a doorway? Is it in the middle of a room? How are you gonna set the rules up so that the system knows if it's dynamic, right? It can't be completely dynamic, right? Uh, there has to be some, well, okay, it could be, but that's probably not gonna work too well. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be some sort of structure around it to organize how these, these different services are split out. And if they're thinking of making it so you could, like the nightmare scenario would be if you can see across one instance into a third instance, because then your communication between all those instances, it, it, it just goes up phenomenally. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's what I mean by the size of it. And I think, Kevin, that's what you were kind of getting at in your video as well, yes. right? Is, and I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I do disagree. A lot of folks in my comments were like, uh, oh, you know, they're not actually going to have multiple servers managing a single physical space as small as, you know, what they showed in the demo. And my belief, uh, and we will find out, but this is, you know, this is something that I would, would put good money on, uh, is that if they demoed that, uh, they do intend to ship that at some point. Whether they can make it work at scale, you know, who knows? But like that, that is the thing that they are trying to build, and that is their ultimate goal. Uh, uh, so we'll see. I'm super excited to find out. Be an uh, interesting situation to, to need I, that. I yeah. do think that the technology they're building can do it, but is it worth doing it? I think is the ultimate question. And there's no way I, I have enough information to even begin to guess on you know if the penalty is it. Is it actually more efficient to do that? I don't think so. But is it more expensive enough that they won't do it? I don't know. It's boy. Uh, so I said earlier, I think that we, I think we live in the first moment where something like this is possible. Whether they'll be able to pull it off, who knows? But like uh, the way 
that we can now, you know, sort of like scale up and scale down compute uh, the, the way, you know, just that we've gotten like um, much lower latency links, just, you know, as computing power has grown, you know, uh, Moore's law, you know, maybe we're no longer fully tracking, but like, you know, still uh, able to do many, many more operations per second than we were 10 years ago. And so I think that it's possible. The th so basically, the things, the, the thing that I'm watching, um, the thing that will determine for me whether server meshing works or not is whether they can get the reliability up to where it needs to be and the latency as low as where it needs to be. Uh, and there are real hard trade-offs there. Uh, you can make like the reliability of the transition from one server to another uh, a lot higher if you're willing to accept like a second latency there. Um, and if you're having a firefight in the middle of a hallway, that's not acceptable. Uh, you can get the latency much lower if you're willing to accept uh, less reliability. Uh, and so that will be, I don't know, that's, that's the, the fundamental computer science question for me is whether like they can make that work. So for and, both- And it's the same, oh, sorry. No, please. I was I was just going to add, man, that it's the same at the networking layer, right? Ever there's yeah. been this set of conversation about the protocols, right? Is it TCP? Is it UDP? Is it multicast? And really, what it comes down to with TCP versus UDP is the exact same question, right? Do you want fast and unreliable, or slightly slower and reliable? And that all depends, right? Because in AWS, those guys have built their own switches. I don't really know what the latency across their data centers is, but I can't imagine it's meaningful at all, almost. Um, so maybe they can. Pardon? I, well, it depends on, uh, it depends, you know, within a rack is different from across the data center, but it's, Order of I, order of milliseconds, order of single digit milliseconds at most. I would I would be surprised if across a data center breaks a millisecond. Okay. I mean it, it it's the the way they're building these things now is it, it's insane. It's absolutely okay. insane. Now if they have to go between data centers, right? At, like if they're building oh, this we need a star dynamic citizen system, data center. Like they got a everything huh? in one building, please. <laughs> All game Twitter, in just one building. Twitter did that. Uh, and Twitter uh, was is solving on some level of fairly similar problem uh, of like uh, fan in and fan out, um, and they yeah they built their own data centers or at least like uh, had big suites in Colo in yeah. I think about three major data centers. So right, um, cool. it's not inconceivable that CIG would do this except for this except for the ability to uh, scale up and scale down. Uh, where like sure you you add you 10x your number of servers for fleet week uh and then you uh scale them down again and you, you don't have to pay for all of that capacity the other yeah, like true. yeah um i had cut you off though tibio what were you saying oh no, no i i would the actually if i could just dovetail on what what kevin was saying sure. there one of the big concerns i raised in my aws video is um and i you know, I've learned since then a lot more about how they've been working with AWS. But, you know, the I know tier one SaaS companies that are pulling out of AWS because it's so expensive. Not because AWS itself is expensive, but because when you scale it up to the level of these, 
giant, you know, mega corporation levels, right? There's an economy of scale. You're paying someone else to do something that's always going to be more expensive at that scale. Um, I don't think Star Citizen will get to that scale, but cost of AWS was always in the back of my mind, you mm -hmm. know, one of those keep an eye ons. Or that's something. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that's one of those things that people forget about too when they're talking about the cost of the game over these years. And, you know, they mention, oh, it's so many millions. He's looking at how many millions of those dollars went towards just keeping this all running since the game was running while they're also trying to develop it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Reddit spends over $20 million a year on AWS, just Reddit. Right. Now, I know Star Citizen today isn't at that level, but can we say yeah. what will happen if it actually succeeds in five years? Right? Yeah. They'll certainly have, certainly have more players. Yeah, yeah. Certainly need more capacity. Yeah. I think that the reason that we see a lot of the tier one sort of SaaS companies going off, moving off AWS is because they have enough capacity or, you know, they, they have enough need of a particular thing. Like when mm -hmm. Dropbox moved off AWS for storage, like it just made more sense for them uh, to do that themselves because they could get cheaper prices. You know, their their operational costs were overwhelmingly dominated by their storage costs, and they no longer needed the flexibility that the public cloud provided them. Um, same with Netflix moving. Uh, actually. Same with Netflix building out their own CDN, um, was that they just had the capacity that it made sense for them to do that. And right. I, that, it's that volume level, right? Once you get to yeah, a certain yeah. point, paying someone else yeah. to do it. And yeah. it, what more, real quick, I think what more people are doing is splitting it. They're taking right. oh, yeah. some Everybody. of their services and leaving them there, and then the, exactly. the expensive ones they're pulling out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Whatever, whatever service serves us 30Ks in Star Citizen, I'd like to, to remove yes. that one and send it somewhere else far, far away. <laughs> yes. Um, let's, I want to wrap up this conversation with a look from the perspective of a normal player. When, when Star Citizen is developing or implementing server meshing, um, obviously we have no way of knowing for sure how this goes, but we all saw what happened with... Um, uh, with PES and how that rolled out. They've said they've tried to change things since then, so it's not as big an immediate drop all at once to mess up your whole game. Um, but I imagine players are curious. When server meshing finally does enter the game, whichever way they do it, static or whatever, will players even notice a difference? Is it going to be something gradually you think that happens? Will the game suddenly start running better? How do you guys see this rollout? Um, I'm going to jump in because Kevin, I think you have more to say on this. Um, I would expect that it will roll out the first, almost exactly what we have today. They'll put the infrastructure in place with a very limited or even one server in it. Watch how that functions for a little while. See what's going on before they start. You know, the big one will be when they add that, that first, you know, that second server, right? Mm -hmm. The first server, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about that because that's relatively easy to test. It's the second server that's good, that terrifies me. Um, and so I would expect it 
certainly shouldn't be as bad as PES if they've done if they've learned anything, right? That was horrible. Yeah. But I also wouldn't expect it to be clean sailing with no issues. There are going to be problems with this, just like with any rollout you have of brand new technology. So, Kevin, your software side, take it from there, my friend. Yeah, I think I largely agree with that. Um, I do. I mean, I don't like rolling out new technology is hard. Uh, we are, you know, the alpha testers. Uh, that means that we will encounter bugs. Um, and PES was a different kind of problem that they were solving. It was a caching uh, problem uh, or no, it, it, you know, and the sort of item management stuff. Um, so we will see different problems with server meshing. I just like uh, expectation setting wise, I, I'm just, I'm very prepared for bugs. Um, and whether that means that my ship gets blown up or I wind up stuck in limbo somewhere or, you know, I uh, wind up back where I started uh, after going somewhere or what have you. But I think what I'm looking for, um, like, you know, the dream of server meshing, right, is that they can sort of like continue to add, continue to expand the universe and keep the server tick rate the same. Uh, so that you can like uh, actually have you know fun and NPCs to fight in bunker missions because they're not all like sitting there on you know five FPS being like you know shooting you where you were. Uh, what is that? Uh, uh, you know, uh, a fifth of a second ago, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, that we can have this like big sprawling universe, but like have a uniform tick rate. Um, so we'll see if that happens. And I do suspect that they'll roll it out in ways to try to minimize the uh, jank. You know, I suspect they'll roll it out. You know, I if if I were doing this, I would be like, okay, like like you said, Tibio. First, it's just one server um, inside the sort of like server meshing orchestrator doohickey uh container uh and then they assign one server to each of the planets in stanton for example uh and then they see if they can subdivide further but right. like so if i could sum up that whole conversation the day server meshing goes out probably for a window there i would not expect dogfighting to be necessarily incredibly pretty um but I also, at this point, am desperately hoping that we can actually log in to have a bad dogfight. I think that's achievable. Okay. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I cannot wait for the time when I don't need a new system. I don't need anything to grow. Just having the system and the stuff that we have right now with the game running well would be great. And I think that's honestly all a lot of people want. It's like, yeah, it's not fully featured. It's not incredibly built out but what we have there is good if it just ran more stably and i think a lot of people are hoping for that but at the same time we should make sure to emphasize that this isn't necessarily a solution to all of our problems right oh no this is mechanical this is way down in the in the guts right it, it will enable them to solve problems in and of itself the only problem it will really help with is that you know that 30 fps from the server what is in that 30 FPS is not going to be impacted at all by server meshing, right? It's not suddenly going to make base building possible, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that would be pretty funny. Server meshing is out and suddenly this new feature just popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I think the features will roll out quickly once it's there, 
Sure. But it is not, it, it is a mechanic. I just want to harp on that, right? This is a structural improvement, not a, uh, like a feature improvement. Sure. Right? So, much like PES allowed them to do other things like uh, salvage or the cargo refactor. This is going to allow teams to do a lot more with the stuff. Or that have they piles have. of crews all over the place. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And medical gowns, <laughs> medical gowns. Um, but this is but the end of a road that they set up six years ago right well the beginning of the end of a road right server meshing was that thing that they put up as road to release we want to do persistence and we want to do 64-bit precision and object container streaming and server meshing at the end i think it is the last of the of the core mechanics that they're missing obviously there are a bunch of other smaller mechanics but this feels to me like the 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 big culmination of getting the core structure in place um, so I, people might call me silly, but I have hope at this point because they've demonstrated something that actually works. Um, and they seem to, again, they're a little too happy with how things are going. And I think that concerns them as well. Um, uh, but they seem pretty pleased with how things are going. So I actually do have some optimism here. Cool. And Kevin, were you going to say something? I just, I just a hundred percent agreed. All yeah. right. And I mean, I, I, I say to the devs, like, you know, I'm pulling for you. I'm super excited for this to work. Uh, you know, I know that there, there will be bugs, but I, you know, trust that you can iron them out. And, you know, really, you know, excited for this, excited to see where this goes. And know you have a lot of hard work ahead of you. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> and at yeah. the end of the day, <laughs> please tell us how you did it. Exactly. Yes. Buy and buy. Well, buy you a beer. Uh, uh, if I see you at a Citizen Con uh, sometime, because uh, I want to hear the stories, and you deserve it for pulling off something uh, uh, so monumental. Absolutely. I bet, there's, I bet there's a lot of stories. Oh my God. All right. Yes. Well, um, thank you both again for joining me for this conversation. I think this was a great overview with a, a couple little like technical jabs in there about how server meshing is, is coming along but honestly i'm glad that we kept it a little more layman because this is not easy to understand so thank you both for uh, yeah. joining me i before we go i want to give you a chance to let folks know where your own video is uh, we talked a lot about your reactions and stuff to this concept um can you let them know where they can find your own content uh, Tibio, go ahead and start us off. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, my channel is, uh, I guess, at Mr. Tib Mr. Tibio. Um, and, you know, I have a Discord server that came out today just because people yelled at me for not being able to contact me. Uh, so I did it, and I'm not sure I like that, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Discord. Yeah, I, was, I actually was looking to get in contact for, for a little while. I ended up going to the YouTube comments, which worked out. We, we made it. Um, absolutely but yeah people love to get onto to the discord and throw all of their re requests which video they want next so <laughs> i'll be i'll be able to go in there and i'll request a couple but um thank Thanks. you again for joining me for this kevin where can where can folks find your videos so the star citizen videos are on uh my channel freed association or if you just search my name uh you should be able to pull that up uh i'm not nearly as prolific as tibio uh I did not mean it as an insult. I, uh, you, have, I, you have done an impressive job of posting like every day since you started. 
um, I post I post when I have something to say. Uh, and so uh, this is also, you know, side project to side project to side project to side project. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you want other technical things from me on YouTube, uh, my channel Critical Point, uh, which you can find at criticalpoint.tv, uh, will have the YouTube link. Uh, I have interviews with software engineers about that time they broke production. And uh, so, yeah, get to go deep dive into other people's uh, systems, other people's incidents. Nice. Well, thank you again, both of you, for coming on. We'll have the contacts linked down below in the show notes for you guys. Uh, you know where you can find them. Thank you for listeners and viewers for coming to this episode. If you are watching on YouTube, hello, hi, we appreciate you. But you might also be listening on an audio platform, and uh, those are ad-free, supported by our supporters, and um, generally uninterrupted by YouTube's shenanigans. So if you prefer that, check out your favorite audio platform. You can find this podcast, Citizen Central, and our community, Greenhouse Podcast, on there. That being said... Our supporters also get a couple of extras, so we're going to go ahead and hop on off of here and answer a couple of these Q&As with uh, supporters sitting with us on the live show, which is one of the perks you get from that, and we will be with you guys again later. Um, Tibio and Kevin, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.